Good morning, Patriots. It's Monday, December 14th, 2020, and you are listening to Living with Liberty. I am your host, Ryan. Today, I will focus in on the secession talk that seems to be gaining some steam. Next on Living with Liberty. Secession seems to be the next solution people want to throw out there on how we solve our ills that are plaguing us in America today. Maybe it would be, maybe it wouldn't. I guess it would depend on how we went about doing it. Politically, we certainly are already there. We have pushed seemingly so far to one side of the spectrum or the other that there is no room for meaningful dialogue in the middle anymore. Realistically, would reigning in the federal government do the trick as opposed to a full-on secession? Would slashing Washington bureaucracies to only include those necessary for the federal government's intended functions of making laws, controlling the economy through the Treasury, providing for national security, and representing states' interests abroad in terms of foreign policy, be the way to get back on track as a nation? Let the states handle their own business the way they want. Let the states and the citizens decide for themselves how they want to handle their own affairs uh, internal to that state. Now, that's not a bad idea, given our federal government is so bloated that we have a national debt that will likely never be repaid. And it's really come to the point of the well-managed states bailing out the poorly managed ones. Outright secession leads us to a whole uh, host of issues and logistical nightmares that I don't think a lot of people are thinking about right now as they look for the quick fix to our issues. Britain's exit from the EU should serve as a cautionary tale in how hard it actually would be for states to secede from the Union. Britain is four years into it uh, already and still not totally out of the European Union yet. The threat of a hard exit with no deals in place with the EU on trade and travel still looms and threatens shortages in supply and uh, in supplies. British companies have been stockpiling inventories for years now on things like uh, pharmaceuticals and other essentials for life. They've been stockpiling inventories just for this scenario of a hard exit with no deal with uh, in terms of free trade and movement of goods and people with the European Union. Now, from a total economic standpoint, this has been an extremely inefficient way to operate. These inventories aren't going anywhere. It's potentially taking capacity for things that are more needed within the economy. Yet, because of this looming hard exit, there's reason to stockpile inventories, so there's no shortages on, on uh, you know, the island of, of Great Britain. There's the threat of also increased paperwork and delays at the ports of entry if there's no deal in place. These threats of paperwork delays at ports of entry also add to the inventory uh, hoarding problem. It could be weeks or even, you know, in some cases, months before paperwork, uh, customs clearance is granted and the goods can move. In some cases, it could be perishable goods that are then no good by the time customs clearance is granted and you've just wasted a whole load. There's been four years of negotiating terms and many extensions along the way to get a deal in place between Britain and the European Union to help keep the free flow of trade going. December 31st of this year is supposedly the last deadline, 
but we'll see on that since there's uh, been hard, uh, supposedly hard dates in the past. But to this point, they've been repeatedly extended. The Guardian puts it right now at an 80% chance of a no-deal exit. But the way this thing has dragged out over the last four years, it really seems as though neither side really wants a British exit at all. Britain's attempts at extra, uh, extricating themselves from the EU serves as a model for what we would face if, we, if there were to be secession of states uh, within America. Economically, what would that look like? How would goods flow? Probably the most likely scenario would be looking at California, Oregon, Washington becoming left coast to stand, with New York up through Maine becoming the East Coast liberal hellhole, though that could stretch as far south as Virginia, and the rest of the country would band together on its own. You'd have three countries, essentially. From an economic standpoint, what does that look like? Would they have their own rules, or would there be agreements uh, to be had to make sure we had free flow of goods? What about money? You'd be looking at three currencies potentially now, each with their own valuations and conversions. We already know that goods and services on the coasts are more expensive than uh, in the central and southern regions. Would that mean that in a three-country uh, solution that there would that you know there there would be a couple of non-viable trading partners as, in terms of the coastal uh, coastal states? Speaking of trade, what would that do to our extending our existing trade packs globally? You'd probably be looking at renegotiating them, and then at that point. Would a three-country solution get as good of a deal with those trading partners? What about the people? Would there be a one-time uh, kind of move to the pl- uh, move to the place uh, of your choosing opportunity? Would those in California who are tired of the socialist policies there get the chance to move somewhere more ideologically amenable to them? What about after? Would a passport be needed if you wanted to go from Nebraska to California? How do the you know the, our things uh, in terms of national defense national defense get split up? Does each country then get an allotment of the planes, tanks, boats, and missiles? This only scratches the surface of what considerations would need to be made in the scenario of a secession. We have to ask ourselves: Are our differences really that irreconcilable that we are willing to undertake something as drastic as dissolving the union? in its current form. At this point, I do think we have incompatible ideologies. Case in point is how Rush Limbaugh was blasted for throwing out the idea that the U.S. is trending towards secession. Or how about the Texas Republican chair who was similarly blasted for hinting at secession after SCOTUS rejected the Texas election lawsuit. Now remember, Biden's campaign wargamed a scenario where secession for the West Coast was on the table in the event of a Trump win in this election. But from there, there was no blasting, no gnashing of teeth that was kind of actually glossed over in the media. In fact, secession has been a topic in California for a while now, and Trump's win in 2016 intensified this movement. The thinking by those in the movement is that California loses billions of dollars every day in federal taxes supporting states whose people hate us and our culture. Two funny things here. California is now asking for budget bailouts from the federal government and all these HEROES Acts and COVID bills and everything else we're trying to pass. 
And the second point here is nobody was blasting this group for talking about secession either. It only gets vehemently admonished when conservatives talk about it during a time which the left believes their Manchurian candidate has won the election. This thinking is why the dissolution of the union is even on the table in the first place. This, to me, this ideology of we can speak freely but you can't, is an irreconcilable difference. Only we get the free speech here on the left, not you conservatives. It's the point Rush Limbaugh was making when he said, It can't go this way. There cannot be a peaceful coexistence of two completely different theories of life, theories of government, theories of how we manage our affairs. He's exactly right. When it looked like they were on the outside looking in, the left was ready to pull the plug on the union. Now that it appears that they may take the Oval Office, they want to squelch any secession talk since they can now rule from the Oval Office over the entire country. To a degree, our founding fathers had expected states to potentially secede from the Union. James Madison and Thomas Jefferson had clearly stated the states' rights compact doctrine in the Virginia and Kentucky Resolutions of 1798, in that each state are a sovereign entity. Up until the Confederate states seceded in 1860, there were numerous threats of secession, whether it was the Federalists in New England in 1814 over their unhappiness of the War of 1812, or South Carolinians in the 1830s. It was consistently a threat on the table. Professor F.H. Buckley, in his book American Secession, makes a case for why we are ripe for secession today. He states that in all ways that matter, save for the naked force of the law, we are already divided into two nations, just as much as we were in 1861. He goes on to say that the contempt for opponents, the Twitter mobs, online shaming and uh, no platforming, and the growing tolerance for violence all suggest we'd be happier in separate countries. Buckley cites a recent Gallup poll that found only 44% of Americans would be willing to fight for their country. He would be correct in that they uh, that there would be far fewer willing to put up a fight should states starting, uh, start to secede. Given that information, should states start seceding, I would find it very unlikely force would be used to keep them in the Union. James Madison, who believed the states had the right to secede, felt it would be wrong to keep states in by force, and it would actually look like a declaration of war. James Buchanan, who denied the right of secession by the Confederate states, also denied the right of the federal government to use force against them to keep the Union intact. There is a constitutional way for secession, as noted by Buckley. The founders rightfully believed that the federal government would not voluntarily cede power, so they wrote Article 5 of the Constitution. This article lets states bypass the feds to amend or even abolish the Constitution in its current form. If 34 state legislatures agreed, there could be a constitutional convention at which everything could be on the table. Approval of any and all changes at that constitutional convention by 38 states then ratifies that as a new constitution. So constitutionally, there is a way to split the country. Where we are at with the dysfunction in this country today, we realistically have socialists versus conservatives, with what seems to be like very few in the middle. 
it likely wouldn't take a constitutional convention to split the country. And outside of your Antifa and BLM types, nobody really wants to start shooting at your fellow countrymen. If states started seceding, they would likely be allowed to go, no questions asked. I'll end my time with you with this thought. Buckley makes a point that smaller countries are better countries. They are less likely to have endemic corruption and by and large are happier overall. Think about the Scandinavian countries. They are routinely noted at the top of the happiest countries in the world lists. Buckley argues that big countries have a lot of corruption because their governments spend huge sums of money that people like to divert. Bureaucratic institutions are just money laundering facilities. Where do all our tax dollars actually go? Where do they end up? Who knows? Like I said, our bureaucracies are essentially money laundering operations. What I do know is we keep borrowing and printing more money. Eventually, it's going to catch up with us with massive inflation and and our money being worth nothing. Buckley makes one other interesting point here. The illegal corruption is the least of our worries. It's the legal corruption we need to worry about. He says bribery, extortion, mail fraud, vote buying are on the low end of the scale in terms of issues we should be concerned with when you compare them to things like campaign contributions and lobbying. He notes that this activity leads to congressmen having their uh, their eye on their future employers when it comes to passing legislation, as roughly half of congressmen go into lobbying when they are done in office. What we have to decide is if a full-out secession uh, is that worth the headaches it would cause. Are we willing to do that kind of work? Are we willing as a society to put up with the pains that would come with a full-out splintering of the country? Or would we be better off pushing the federal government back into its original function of making laws, controlling the economy through the treasury, providing for national security, and making foreign policy on behalf of the states? I personally take the view of putting the states back in charge and letting the federal government be the arbiter of issues between them and the arbiter of issues between the states and you know foreign countries uh, around the world. I believe we have more advantage as a whole, rather than being split apart into two, three, 50 countries, whatever it may be. And with, you know, the ability of moving all the ideological issues back to the states to figure out, let them decide on uh, abortion and gay marriage and everything else that we've had the Supreme Court legislate over the years. One size doesn't fit all here. We would all then be able to move into a place we found to be an ideological fit for us, while also still enjoying the benefits that come from being a large union of states, a large country. Is secession a possibility? In 2019, I would have said no. But after this year, I think it's taught us that anything is possible. What I do think is it is not likely, as I don't think as a whole we have the stomach to go through everything uh, a full-on split of the country would entail. I think we uh, push forward, push the federal government out of the way, shrink it down, and leave it to the states to decide. That's my show for today. Friends, I thank you for listening. If you would be so kind, leave me a a positive review. If you're listening on a a platform that that does allow you to uh, leave reviews, and we'll talk next time.
I'm grateful you've chosen to spend some time with me. I would truly appreciate it if you would subscribe to and share my podcast with friends and family. Please email me feedback. My address is livingwithliberty at usa.com. Follow and ring my bell for updates at my social media home on Parlor. My handle is at livingwithliberty. Liberty isn't a given. We must continue to fight and protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.